0: Sammy on, And this is Jay Joby.
1: Thursday the 18th of June, it's our Stock Aitken and Waterman show.
0: With some very special guests, including... Hi, I'm Hazel Dean.
2: This is Pete Mixmaster Hammond, and you're listening to the 80s Montage Podcast.
0: It's better the devil you know. With the 80s Montage SAW show. Woohoo! <laughs>
1: Welcome to the 80s montage. Fucking boys light up. Boys light up. Light fucking up, boys boy light up.
2: up. Yeah. What was that
0: song about? What do you reckon that song was about? Oh, it be about the boys fucking, you know, getting all keyed up and fucking going for it. I think it was about
1: policemen. Oh, was it really? I think it was about the coppers with their lights. Right. Then the boys light up, so the lights had come on.
0: And the boys are the th- boys in blue.
1: That's right, and I may be wrong, but. In the 70s and 80s, they would really go around to the pubs and uh, light up the the lights. And I'm pretty sure it's about that.
0: Yeah, right. Well, everyone out there, you've, of course, tuned in to the 80s montage. I'm Jay Jovi. I'm Sammy Hardard. Now, tonight's episode's a little bit different. Mm. We're going to be celebrating Australian Bogan beauties. Yeah. Australian Bogan beauties, mate.
1: So get on your mockies.
0: Yeah, get your on your mockies. jeans. Put your flannelette shirt on. Yep. Yeah. Because um, we're going
1: to take you back.
0: Yeah, take you back. Now, anybody overseas, you may not know what a bogan is. A bogan sort of, I guess, a subclass of, of uh, Australian culture. Um, mm-hmm. It's a um, little bit of a stereotype. It's sort of... Uh, a bogan would have been somebody who um, was perhaps suburban and very, very ochre, uh, very larrikin and probably a little bit sort of unrefined and uneducated. And um, loved to drink. Yeah, different, a diff, little bit different to a redneck who would have been more kind of rural, like more from the country. Like a, a bogan's like a little bit more suburban and a little bit more, uh, you know, closer to the city. Uh, That's right. Bogan's Bogan's love fighting. <laughs> no, but look, they love. Um, uh, they're known for loving classic Aussie rock. Um, they they love uh, hoon driving. They love cars, you know, um, and they're sort of known for excessive alcohol consumption as well. Um,
1: They're a fucking mess. That's what they're about. Yeah. They're a fucking mess. Yeah, but usually they're a
0: lot of fun. Usually they're a lot of fun. Oh, yeah. They are. Not known for having like a full set of teeth, but that's all right.
1: I'm just trying to think of a movie that someone could watch overseas to get that scenario.
0: Uh, Look, I'll think of an an 80s Mm. one, but a famous one that sort of sits outside the 80s would be Two Hands with Heath, Heath Ledger. Okay. That's a good reference point for a bogan. Yep. Yeah. Um, Well, that's a good
1: movie too, so not a waste of time to have a look at that.
0: That's right, yeah. Now, bogan sort of – I guess a bogan uniform would consist of perhaps like a flannelette shirt or a flanny as they're known, maybe a blue singlet, uh, Mm -hmm. stubby shorts, um, maybe a bit of fluoro workwear if you're looking at sort of something recent. Ugg boots or moccasins? Very recent.
1: Yeah, never in the eighties. No furrow in the eighties. No, they did have something about them though, and I have to mention this. Yeah, they always wore their balls on one side of their jeans. They never split the balls in half. So the camel toe was just on.
0: no, not just, but nobody splits their balls in half except for when, except for fucking freaks.
1: (laughs) No, no, no! They just wore their their whole dick on the one side of their seam, <laughs> and and if and you and I used to look at it as a kid and go, "Why can't you even that shit out?" The jeans were way too tight.
0: Yeah, I don't know. I don't. You know, the focus with bogan's is not so much on the looks. You know? No. You with me? No. It's just in having a drink, having a smoke, fucking Picking having a good a time. Yeah, having a root. Yep.
1: Yeah. So, having a
0: root. Uh, Even
1: if you didn't, you'd tell them you did.
0: Now another thing, Bogans love their cars. They loved uh, love their Holden's from sort of the FJ to the HQ, uh, Toranas, Commodores. I love Peter Brock. Also, Fords. It's not just not just Holden's. They um they love their love their uh, Ford Falcons right up to the AU, AU model, and that includes my XG panel van. I've I've got a lovely Falcon. Which is yep. um, fucking having a new motor dropped into it at the moment. So very good. Hey. So
2: well, yeah. we're also
1: gonna we're also gonna talk about pub rock. So pub rock in Australia, whether you were a bogan or not, you went and saw bands in pubs. It was the biggest thing to do, and there were a lot of bands that started this whole movement that maybe you don't know about. You know, especially overseas people. Yeah. Um, bands that were the forefront of this whole pub scene. If I was going to pick a state that probably did most for the pub scene, it would probably be Sydney. Sydney yeah. was
0: huge. Sydney for- um, S- Sydney is sort of different to a lot of Australian cities in the way that um, Sydney was founded as a um, penal colony. Like it was actually when, – when it was founded, it was, a, it, it was a penal colony. It was a jail. So um, whereas sort of Melbourne and, and Adelaide and a lot of other Australian cities and areas were uh, colonies. Like they, they were sort of people that weren't criminals that were coming out and settling and that kind of thing. So <laughs> yeah, Sydney yeah, yeah. Sydney does have – and and I, hey, I'm not I'm not sort of trying to piss the people in Sydney off. I'm just analyzing demographics. Sydney, I, I guess, does have a lot of that um, more dangerous kind of ex con um, uh, sort of vibe about it. Like it's just that little bit rougher, you know? Mm. Yeah. Mm. Well, yeah, It's an
1: old town.
0: Yes, yes, that's right.
1: Um, Sydney old town or whatever, but. Um, Exciting times because I don't think we're ever going to see a scene like it was in the 70s and the 80s ever again No, for the rest of our lives because not only has the bloody coronavirus fixed that anyway yeah. but – We started to get into pokey machines and and that kind of stuff wasn't around.
0: Yeah. Pokey machines
1: weren't even thought of.
0: Yeah, So
1: if you're going to ask someone what ruined the pub industry with live bands, it would be the pokies.
0: It would be pokies. Like that That was largely it, wasn't it? Because the sort of um, the area that would be assigned for – you know having pokies. a band stage or a band room yeah. that then yeah. got allocated um, as as pokey space like why would you why would you have a band in when you can have fucking a big row of pokies that's like guaranteed income um, well they
1: legalized it and yeah. when they legalized it it meant you just didn't have to go to a bloody Casino. RSL or something like that or, or there weren't even that many casinos nah. it was more you know, Club Mulwala or somewhere where you went up and you played Services pokies. club,
0: yeah.
1: So That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. That's what I was trying to get at. So we sort of fucked the, the pub industry a bit, but I wanted to start with one tonight. Or do you want to start with Aussie Crawl? Cause they Why were a good not? One.
0: No, we open yeah. with them. Yeah, they're yeah. a very good example. So tell us about, um, tell us about Aussie, Aussie Crawl. Crawl.
1: Well, I was a bit of an Aussie Crawl fan because I was going to Queensland at the time and this, these guys were a surfy kind of a band. They were very Gold Coast on the beach, you know, uh, Hawaiian shirt kind of a band. They had a lot of songs um, about the beach and yeah. the, the albums were named after that. So I kind of thought they were a bit cute in the 80s. I think it was 83 when I started to look at Aussie Crawl.
0: They're all uh, they're all sort of blonde dudes, weren't they? Blonde surfy they dudes. They were kind
1: of blonde. They were tall. There was, of course, James Rain lead.
0: That's right. Uh,
1: Brad Robinson. I loved Brad Robinson. Um, not many of them still alive, except for James um, at the moment. But I loved them because they were very beachy, very summery band. Yeah. They had, of course, the boys light up, which is the track we played at the start of the show. But they actually came from the Mornington Peninsula.
0: Yep. And
1: Mount Eliza.
0: Yeah, that's true. Which
1: is not far from where the studio is.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: And I didn't know that.
0: Yeah, there you go. They, they um, it, it is a very surfy, coastal, Aussie sound. And, and um, interestingly enough, they've got a bit of a um, – some of their songs have a bit of a reggae vibe. Which you, you would oh, not – Oh, totally,
1: babe. Yeah. Totally.
0: Yeah. Absolutely. You, you wouldn't pick that, would you? Like for, uh, for a – If you brought
1: the album, you would. Mm. But if you didn't buy the album, which we all did anyway, but uh, you wouldn't pick that, no. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Bit of reggae. There was definitely a touch of reggae in that. Downhearted was a big song of theirs. Oh, uh, yeah. Um, downhearted. Fuck you know. Yeah. Um these, and just, there was
0: these just this whole episode is just gonna br- bring back so many back memories. Yeah. Bloody so we hell. had Paul
1: Williams on bass, Simon Binks on lead guitar, David Rain started off on drums. Did he? Um when the band started. Yep, but he went on to do an acting thing.
0: And then Brad uh, Robertson was Chantuzzi's. with him guitar.
1: That's right, he did yeah. the Santoosies after that, but you know, whatever. Um David Rain. Was in it for a little while um, And Guy McDonald. Now but he died uh, in the 80s That guy And I was quite distraught over that Because oh there no. was a great video of them in a spa bath um, I think it was Errol O'errell Then they were in the spa bath together It was just a camp 80s video Yeah And Guy yeah. eventually passed away But I do remember Brad Robinson was managing James Rain
2: right. There
1: for a while in mm-hmm. the '90s or the 2000s, before he died, um, which was interesting as well, because they obviously kept a really good friendship. Yeah. What would be your favourite Aussie Aussie crawl song, honey?
0: Um, it'd have to be it'd have to be Boys Light Up. I used to love it as a kid. I used to love that. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I actually loved his vocal. I love James Rain's vocal. Um, yeah. It's. It's very it's it's very unique. He's got that. He does that sort of slow vibrato thing, like ah, 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 You know, he does that sort yeah, of yeah, shaky. yeah, he does. Yeah, that sort of shaky uh, wide vibrato thing. It's very unique. Um, and look, yeah, it is a, just a very Australian sound, and um, it brings back lots of memories from when I was a kid growing up. So, yeah, love it, love it. Yeah,
1: and then when he went solo. We all couldn't understand what he was singing.
0: No, that's right. So
1: I think in Australian Crawl his articulation was a bit better.
0: Yeah, perhaps. And then when
1: he went solo it was like, fucking what's he singing?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's right. You
1: know, which yeah. could have come down to a producer, I guess, producing. Oh, that's what I wanted to mention. David Briggs from the Little River Band, Mm -hmm. the guitarist, produced Beautiful People, which was their first um, single and I've been produced by David Briggs. Oh, have you really? So I read that and went, yeah, yeah. Um, David Briggs was the guy that produced their first demo and then I think they left that alone and went to someone else but great band.
0: Yeah, love them, absolutely love them. Now, I might jump sort of to these guys, and I'm going to start at a a very – I'm going to sort of hit at a very strategic point with their career. Um, I'm going to talk, of course, about ACDC, whom if you love ACDC and you're Australian, you don't call them ACDC. You call them Akadaka. (laughs)
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, they got the name, of course, from um, I think it's Alternating Current, Direct Current, which is uh, yep. uh, how electricity, it's a, basically a, a, a nod to electricity generally because they, they loved how um, that connection to electricity because that's how they felt performing. That, that's how sort of raw and electric they felt their music and performance was. They got it from the back of a sewing machine, from uh, Malcolm's sister's sewing machine. Um so I could I could go back to the 70s of course. They formed in 73. But in February 1980, the lead singer who was very, very popular, his name was Bon Scott. Um Bond Bon was a little bit older than the other boys. Um the other boys uh consisted of Malcolm and uh Angus um Young, Young of course. Malcolm and Angus Young. Um and they were Scottish immigrants. They were sort of immigrants to Australia. Now, um, they actually bloody, um, when they came out, out to Australia, the young brothers, they stayed in a, like a migrants camp out at Burwood. I didn't know this. So that's where they met. Yes. In this um, migrants camp, they actually met Pete Vander. You know the, the songwriter?
1: Harry Vander. You oh, mean? Harry
0: Vander, sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah. Um, So, (laughs) too many Pete's. That's the problem. Um, Yeah. Yeah, so they met um, Harry Vander right back in this bloody migrant camp. Um, On the other side of Australia, in in Fremantle, in in WA, um, you had Bon Scott and his family who sort of migrated to Australia. Um, They, you know, over time, they all met, formed ACDC. They were – Bon was like a really – um, he was a little bit older than the guys and he was tiny and he was a huge drinker. I, I believe, you know, quite a voracious drug taker as well. Nuts yep. own, you know, very, very smart and, and actually quite um, actually quite vulnerable and soft. Um, but his sort of stage persona and his outward persona was just like, he, he was like Loki, the god of chaos, sort of like, he was, he was crazy, nuts. Big leering smile and sort of, you know, beady, beady sort of dark little eyes and everything. Um, bon Bon actually um, would end up drinking himself to death um, when they were uh, on tour, uh, and he I think he um, he w- he was so drunk that they couldn't get him out of the car. They let him sleep in the car and then he didn't wake up mm. in the morning. He um, mm. he, he died of. Um, they're not sure if he died on of alcohol poisoning or, or, um, whether he, whether he, um, may have suffocated on his, his own vomit, (laughs) but, um, um, look, he, he lives sort of very hard and fast. Now they were, they had just, they were only a couple of months out from releasing Highway to Hell, which was a huge hit. um, and they, cons- they did consider, um, because they had been in sort of bands before, they did consider just disbanding altogether and, mm-hmm. start- and starting another project. This is the, this is the Young Brothers. Um, but it was actually Bond's parents and family who said, you know, no, um, Bond would want you to keep going um and keep the band going he loved the band like keep it going so they um they started auditioning new singers and they met Brian Johnson and it was actually yes. it was actually Bon when he was alive who suggested um that Brian Johnson was a fantastic singer and and you know the, the first time that they ever heard of Brian Johnson was actually through Bon uh which is really strange because it's like he's sort of and endorsing him, you know, it was incredible. Yeah,
1: yeah. Yep. Um,
0: so they got him in, and um, they knew straight away that he w- he was right for the job. They loved his voice, and um, after they sort of had to listen to all the other singers for the rest of the day, they they actually got him back in and and um, started their first rehearsal with him on the same day. Um, Fantastic. They released later um, later that year. They released they started recording straight away with Brian Johnson in 1980 and they released uh, a couple of months after back in Black. So back in black I guess the um, why they chose black is because they' you know they're, they're in mourning for, for Bond. That yep. was back in Black was one of the most important albums for me growing up. Um, it was such a, it was such an incredible comeback. For this band, after potentially facing, you know, disbanding, losing the singer, and and um, potentially disbanding, and it, you know, it's such an amazing comeback story. And and if there's one thing Aussies love, it's sort of, um, it's the underdog. You know, the um, uh, a person sort of fighting back and picking themselves up again, getting back up again, and having another go. Um, it was a huge success. Their their follow up album. To this one was called "For Those About to Rock." We salute you. This was released in 1981. Yep, and that album was actually so popular that it reached number one in the USA. And it would sort of take the band, um, al- although they were although they were already an international act. Um, y- you know, Back in it,
1: Black is like one of the second highest albums ever that we just went through.
0: That's right. That
1: went two times diamond so back in black um, I think was bigger than for those of you about to salute or I think it was might bigger. have
0: been might have been an album sales but in in right. terms of chart position um, you could have an album that is like high selling but that's sort of over time I guess um, yeah anyway so so um, for those about to rock we salute you actually went to number one. Um, that was a huge success for them um, and um, they, they would, you know, it, it sort of albums in and around this time that would cement them as international icons, not, not just as an Aussie pub band but um, international icons. So, um, you know, it would have been incredible. It would have been incredible. Imagine sort of people in the, in the late 70s coming into the 80s watching them in pubs and stuff in Australia. And then within the, the next decade, they um, actually become one of the most iconic bands in music.
1: Totally. Yeah. Um, and do you think, because back in, I remember the time when Back in Black came out in 1980, I don't think it sort of, it was sort of big but it never really hit home until about five years later, maybe after, for those of you... We, you know, to rock. Could we salute you?
0: Yeah, yeah. You know what I
1: mean? It was there was a bit of an undercurrent thing about Back in Black.
0: Yeah, I think um, what it may, what that may have been is that that their fans didn't accept Brian Johnson at first. They used right. to the, the fans used to come to the gigs and hold up signs saying um, the new singer's shit and like give it, you know. Um, bon Scott forever, and fucking <laughs> wave it up in his face as he was singing. You know, like so yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. Fan, fans get a bit possessive and stuff. And I mean, what what were they meant to do? Um,
1: exactly.
0: But um, so they didn't accept him at first, and maybe maybe he just had to prove himself for for a few years to those fans and and um, to, to turn those kind of fans around and get on board. You know, maybe that was why it was a bit of a slow burner. You know.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, a a brilliant album. Everyone still loves it today. Yeah. It's always used in movie soundtracks.
0: Yes. Even now
1: movies, you know, like always used. Um, And I remember ACDC didn't put their stuff on Spotify for a long time. They were holding their royalties. They were holding their albums off stuff like Spotify and you could not get the album so you had to buy them on iTunes. That's right. So – there was always someone very clever with with the songs in protecting
0: them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very interesting Which is band. Interesting. very interesting band because you, you you would think from the music that they would just be a mess, but I actually think they they're, they're quite savvy. You know, they they they've obviously got great management as well.
1: Yeah, yeah. Look, usually that's the case. Yeah. Um, you can make it look like you're a mess, but you're actually really big, great businessmen.
0: Yeah, you know? yeah, that's right.
1: Because how your pa- fans perceive you may be totally different to how you go home and you fucking have a toasted sandwich and a fucking wine and go to bed, you know? Yeah, we
2: yeah, We don't yeah. know
1: what they're doing.
0: No, exactly, exactly. It's all show it's all business, business, isn't it?
2: Yeah.
1: It is, but, yeah, no, there is um, interesting that, they are still relevant today and people still love them.
0: Yep, that's right. Now what bogan beauty have you got for us next, baby?
1: Well, I'm going to start off with um, a band called the Sunny Boys only because musos of the world love the Sunny Boys, especially Aussie musos that have been in bands that have been quite successful. They were the first um, first kind of pub band where people enjoyed their music. Yep. Um, But it wasn't a very long stint. Um, Two brothers, Jeremy and Peter Oxley, and they were from Kingscliff, New South Wales. Right. So they used to put out their own EPs. But anyone that loves rock and roll will bring up the Sunny Boys and how incredible they were. They had a song called I'm Alone With You Tonight, um, which was huge. You know, people loved it. People like Chrissy Amphlett and and stuff like the Divinals will listen to this song and still love it. So it was sort of – they were really big in the pub scene. So without the Sunny Boys sort of travelling around, we probably wouldn't have seen as many pub bands, you know, because they weren't musically incredible but they just had this thing about them which made other people want to be like them, you know. Yeah. And the the weird thing about the Sunny Boys is – The front man, um, guitarist vocals, Jeremy Oxley, had schizophrenia. Oh, shit. So he was diagnosed with that uh, later on in life, which meant what would happen is Countdown would play their second single um, on the TV and he had stuff running through his head that sort of said, oh, my God, they've changed the song, the sound, they've ruined our song. Like, he started to get a bit paranoid about stuff. And his brother Pete, who was on bass... ...said to him, listen man, I think you've got a problem. Um, You're very paranoid about the music we're putting out. So that kind of stopped them a bit. Um, I did watch a documentary today that was really interesting... ...where the wife uh, looks after him and he still writes music and stuff. Uh, But it was also Richard Bergman on guitar and Bill Bilson on drums... Those musos, for a lot of musos in Australia or Melbourne, they love them and it was because I guess they were just authentic and they just sang good sort of rock and roll and they had things happening there that we saw in the live scene, you know. But it was quite discerning to hear that he did have schizophrenia and he was diagnosed and just they kind of let it go then because it was just too tricky.
0: Yeah, right. Oh, no. No. Yeah, uh, it's it's uh, look, the 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 industry as a performing artist, it, it, the industry itself can be quite schizophrenic. You know what I mean? So to, so to have that um, to have that going on with you personally, I can see how it would really kind of exacerbate the problem. You know?
1: Yeah, well, that's right. He wasn't just crazy; he actually had, you know, schizophrenia. But they produced four songs in 1980. Now, they produced – the reason why I know about this is because I watched Rage last night and Mark from the Divinals was the special guest. Ah, uh,
0: yeah. I did yes. watch it for a little while as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: So it was interesting because he was talking about Chrissy and himself uh, and he, he mentioned a producer called Lobby Lloyd. Right. And Lobby Lloyd would eventually go on to produce a lot of these rock albums. He was a bass player, I think. And he also joined um, Angry Anderson's – or Rose Tattoo. So he was the dude that everyone loved to go and see in the pubs. Yeah. Because the good thing about him these days, when you're a band and you went out to see other bands, you just went out because you loved to see other bands. There was no competition and shit.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: It just inspired you. It didn't make you go, well, that guy's an idiot. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah.
1: But, yeah, I just, thought, I just wanted to mention the Sunny Boys because I think they have a huge cult following. Yep. Um, and especially in Australia.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, another band that, you know, if you're looking at pub rock, if you're looking at Bogan Beauties, you can't go past these guys. I don't know if we've talked about them that much in this show, but uh, the band I'd like to mention is, of course, Cold Shizzle. Now, beautiful if you love if you're a cold chisel fan you don't call them cold chisel it's just chisel isn't it Now, it is chisel they were from Adelaide um, they were fronted of course by Jimmy Barnes who was Scottish another another Scottish migrant yes he was very poor you know they um, that he came from a very poor family Um they all met. Uh, they were formed in Adelaide, of course, with Ian Moss, who was sort of did did um, some of the vocals. Uh, Mossy's got an incredible voice, isn't he?
1: Yeah, he has.
0: Um, also, Steve Presswich, Phil Small, and Don Walker. Mhm. Don Walker was the pianist, wasn't he? Yes. Yeah. They are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's interesting to think of. Um, Think of like a pub pub rock band or a bogan band, you know, um, with keys, with with well, not just keys, but sort of p- p- like like piano. Like it was it was um, not necessarily keys in terms of synth. It was keys in terms of like hab- having this kind of vamping bloody um, little Richard piano. You know what I mean? Mm, mm, really yeah, interesting. Yeah. It's sort of heart yeah. heart. Um, harks back to, uh, you know, traditional rock and roll, old rock and roll, like Little Richard and that kind of thing. That's Um, right, which
1: Barnsley loved. Yeah. Barnsley was right into that soul stuff. Yeah, that's Um, right. But you know what? If you've got a player like Don Walker in the band that's playing keyboards, you are going to go, fuck, he's a great player. And he was coming up with some fantastic riffs. Yeah. Um, You're not going to go, oh, we can't put piano in. So that was – and it's quite a risk to take as well. That's right. Um, But I love that. But I'm just going to talk about being a muso in the years that Chisel were huge. Uh Uh-huh. Was fucking tricky because it didn't matter what cover band you were in – what original band you were in, if you played a pub in the 80s, yep. everyone wanted to hear Chisel, whether you were fucking Chisel or Fat Cat, right? Yeah, it's so true. you could not get away with doing a cover band gig without doing Chisel. Um, that's what people wanted, you know. It doesn't happen so much now. People aren't as stupid. But I remember being 19 and I was in a trio and I was doing some shithole in Melbourne and it was just a trio and they, this guy was yelling out, chisels, chisels.
0: Yeah.
1: And it was, it was so nerve-wracking because I'm not a Scottish guy that can sing like <laughs> oh, Jimmy oh, Barnes. Since when? You know what I mean? I know, <laughs> right? I'm, I mean, oh. now I can do it. But when I was young, I was like, I don't want to sing chisel. Like, this is not what I'm about. Yeah. I'm doing other stuff. But anyway, so this old guy just kept yelling out chisel, chisel, chisels and then this old guy that was about 68 at the bar said louder than anyone and we just went, can you get that guy a packet of fucking chisels before I kill him? You know, because <laughs> it was the best comeback and then I couldn't stop laughing for the rest of the gig. Ah, it was that's funny awesome. but Backing you, you actually, it was quite threatening to play live in Melbourne, especially a cover band. Yep. If you did not play Chisel, If you
0: didn't do K-San or something like that. That's right. Yeah. yeah.
1: Absolutely.
0: Now, bloody, um, Chisel actually were formed in the 70s and they had sort of a lot of their, you know, some of their big hits in that period leading up to the 80s and, of course, K-San's one of them. Um, It wasn't until uh, the album East, which was their first album released in the 80s, um, that they uh, had hits such as Cheap Wine. They had Standing on the Outside. They had Choir Girl, My Baby, and Ita. That that um that album East was awesome. Really, really good. Um, yeah, yeah. yeah che- <laughs> Cheap Wine is such a big bogan classic, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Cheap wine and a three-day growth. Fucking absolutely. cheap wine and a
0: three-day growth.
1: Three. I just, I just love the album cover of that. That's the one where he's in the bathtub, yeah, with the alcohol in his hands.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: With the bandana on. Yeah. Love that album cover.
0: Yeah, yeah. Now, Ida, the song Ida was about Ida Buttrose. Ah,
1: that's right Yeah
0: Now their their other 80s albums um, would be Circus Animals Which had You Got Nothing I Want and When the War Is Over Awesome songs Um, Their last studio album as a band before they'd break up in 83 uh, Their last studio album would be 20th Century 20th Century had Saturday Night and Flame Trees Flame Trees what an awesome song if you're yeah, from
1: i had that album on vinyl oh
0: did ya? if you're mm. if you're australian and you're from a small town flame trees means everything to you that song because it, it's about it's about a, a guy coming back to his hometown and and reconnecting with all of his old mates and just the strange sense of nostalgia about going home and it's just such a beautiful song um But it would be released – that album, 20th Century, would be released in 84 um, and it was actually released sort of after they decided – those songs, those singles were charting after the band – were still charting after the band had broken up. Um, Yeah, it was a huge album. Yeah, Huge. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Barnsley – and we love Barnsley. Barnsley – um, I think the the breakup occurred because he was doing it tough financially. He asked for a uh, he asked for a um, he asked for a sort of uh, uh, an advance uh, from a from a gig, I believe, um, because he was doing it tough. He couldn't, you know, he had kids by this stage. And I will
1: tell you why he was doing it tough. He had about three managers, and they were all fucking ripping him off.
0: Right.
1: It wasn't just about. Um, Pissing you it know, all away. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it wasn't about that. He had – I remember seeing stories about Barnsley having managers and the managers just took all his money and that's – and then he he, he he was a mateship guy so it was like, yeah, you can manage me, you know, that kind of thing. Um, And they, they ripped him off. Yeah. They ripped him off. He had to go into hiding for a while I think. Yeah. From memory.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think
1: he did. But Barnsley ended up at a gig at mine. It was a Jewish bar mitzvah. And I'm going to tell this story because he had a rehab doctor in Melbourne, uh, a Jewish guy that used to go that he went through rehab with. I can't remember the name of the doctor. Anyway, it was his son's or daughter's bar mitzvah. It was at the Botanical Gardens in, in Melbourne. This is going back maybe 20 years ago. Yeah. And Barnsley and Jane are at this gig. It was a bar mitzvah, a kid's party, and the band are going, do you reckon Jimmy will get up and sing with us? And I went, I'll go and ask him. Like, just fucking ask him. You know, and they're like, Oh, well, you can't ask Jimmy. And I'm like, I'll go and ask him. Anyway, before I went to go and ask him, he had walked up to the band and gone, I want to sing, right? Because Balanzi oh, will sing anywhere. Yeah. Balanzi will sing anywhere. So I said to him, what do you want to sing? And he goes, oh, no, no fucking anything. And he... I think he was just about to bring out the soul album at this time. Uh, And I said to him, what about Mustang Sally? Because we knew that as a band. We didn't know many songs
0: that
1: were, you know, Barnsley style. And he went, yeah, yeah. And I said, what key do you want to do it in? He goes, I don't know, any fucking key, any fucking key. Like he didn't even fucking care. And I said to the band, we're doing Mustang Sally, Barnsley's going to get up. Anyway, he was on the right-hand side of me screaming in my ear. Um, because he's loud, right? Yeah, yeah. But it was the best, best thing ever. Because he just got up and performed. But yeah. then he wanted to perform the whole fucking album. Yeah, right. You know? <laughs> and we had to go, yeah, yeah, mate. No, you know, but he's such a good sport.
2: Yeah, um, yeah.
1: But Barnsey is Barnsey, you know.
0: Look, he's a cult. He's he's absolutely a cultural icon. He, he um, when he would leave Cold Chisel, he um, straight away sort of moved into his solo career. Um, and in the same year, 84, that, you know, Saturday Night and Flame Trees were charting, he released Body Swerve, which would be his first, uh, solo album. It did really well. And then the following year, he would release Working Class Man. Now, Working Class Man in 1985 was absolutely enormous. Huge, absolutely yeah. enormous. There's something about yeah. that song. There's something about I, the, the whole mythology of Barnsey coming from Cold Chisel, um, but he, even him, even him coming to Australia with nothing. You know, you know, his family coming to Australia with nothing, and like being poor all of his life, and just like slowly, slowly, slowly building up and uh, doing it tough and everything. Going through Cold Chisel, all all that success, leaving that, coming out standing on your own solo, and um, having all that success, and then to release a song like Working Class Man, it's like that song talks like right through to Aussie Bogans, You know what I mean? It talks. It, it sort of reaches right through to the the core of um, like larrikin Australia. Um, it was well, which absolutely is huge.
1: Which is interesting because it was written by Americans. That's right. It was written by the guys from Journey. That's right. And I think this is where he met Jane during the video of Working Class Man in America.
0: Yeah, he met Jane back in Chisel chisel years. Oh, really? Yeah. Anyway, um, Barnsley's first six solo albums all debuted at number one. Isn't that incredible? Yeah. That's phenomenal. He was very, very popular. Very popular. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, yeah. he's sort of, um, in terms of Aussie music, uh, just an icon. He's, he's a living icon.
1: Yeah. And he did a lot of live work. He did a lot of live gigs. They worked hard. They did Sydney. They did all the areas in uh the countries, not many people went out to the country and did gigs. Yeah, that's you know. right. Yeah. That wasn't a big thing. If you're in the 70s and the 80s, you stayed in the cities. Barnsley went right out on the outskirts of Sydney. He went into the areas that no one got live music and that's how that shit exploded. Yeah. Because if you're giving something to a public that doesn't have it, of course it's exciting. It's great, you know?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, and I think it
1: was Live Aid where he played that first, where we saw that live.
0: Was it Live Aid? Live
1: Aid. Sorry, Australian Made.
0: Oh, Australian Made. Yeah, Australian yeah. Australian
1: Made. God. Yeah. Live Aid. Yeah. on the brain. He
0: had, he had learnt a lot, hadn't he, um, from all the Cold Chisel years. By the time he became a soloist, he had really learnt a lot. Like the, the band that he pulled together – um, uh, his, his management, just how he did things, um, how, he, how he marketed himself, everything. He, he, um, um, anyway, so there, there is this urban myth, Sammy. I'm not sure if you may have heard this. Um, apparently, back when Bunzi was in Chisel, um, there was like a bit of a frustrating thing with Cold Chisel uh, in that they were such a popular Australian band, but they just could not crack the U.S., and in that sort of period, it was absolutely possible for, for a band to have US success, you know, like um, uh, bands were sort of going to the US from Australia and having uh, having some US success, um, like Men at Work, like In Excess, you know, for instance. Um, and there is this urban myth that apparently the, the head of Electra had – the sort of albums and the files on his desk um, with Cold Chisel on one side and Motley Crue on the other. They they had, I guess, a budget to launch uh, a big new band to, to basically um, financially back and support uh, only one band and he had to choose and ultimately he chose Motley Crue and the rest is history. Okay,
1: so there are a couple of stories about this situation. From what I've heard, both bands were signed to Electra. Everyone was on the Cold Chisel train. Right, right. <laughs> and they wanted to sign Cold Chisel. But the record, the radio stations wanted Motley Crue. They were so popular. Yep. There was a kid that was working for Electra that wanted to sign the band to Electra. So I don't know whether… They were the favourite at all. I think Cold Chisel were the ones they wanted to sign but they just weren't getting the popularity with the radio stations. Joe Smith from Electra Records then okayed it to put Motley Crue on the record label. So that's what I've heard. I haven't heard um, that there was one or the other. I think what had happened was the little kid decided – that uh, he'd go in with the balls and Joe Smith went, yep, well, let's see what you can do here.
0: There we go. Holy shit. All right. So, um, um, Baby, have you got another band to move on to now?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, All right, so I've got, I'm going to talk about Midnight Oil.
0: Fuck yeah.
1: The oils, right, because I actually saw the oils when I was about eight years of age. Oh, did you? yeah i was in a pub having a meal with my parents my brother was 6 i was 8 it was in bondi beach somewhere just on the beach and you you know what do you call the meals you have at a pub
0: C- counter meal
1: counter meals counter meal with mum and dad for dinner we'd went up to sydney for a christmas holiday yep. and this band sets up guy with no hair fuck all oh. the boys set up And Midnight all start going fucking apeshit and he scared the shit out of me. I was like too full on for me and my little brother was standing next to me pissing himself laughing watching him. Yeah, yeah. And because he used to wave his arms. He's always been the same. He's got like
0: a really sort of spastic kind of dance style, doesn't he? Like he's… Yes. Yeah, it's, it's really out there.
1: Absolutely. Um, so I went. I saw him when I was about eight, and I'll never ever forget it. It was wow. it also intrigued me. It didn't just make me feel like I was a bit scared, but it did intrigue me. But yeah. they were they were very together as yeah. a unit. Um, but yeah, I actually saw them way before they were on albums, way before they were on records, and that was something that I loved seeing because as a kid it was almost like the other end of the spectrum of having those weird moves and that thing because I think what happened to musos is everyone became rock and roll cliché where there were certain artists in Australia that weren't so cliché and he's one of them. Yeah, and I guess... And Chrissy Amphlett's one of them. Yes, you know what yes, I mean?
0: exactly right. Because um, those guys, if they were to come out today, probably wouldn't get... Um, uh, record company backing because nah. they because their teeth weren't perfect because of this, because of the look, because of that, because they're, they're too out there to be marketable. They didn't quite fit into any particular genre so they were difficult to sort of um, – they, they were difficult to market. Um, yeah. But, you know, that's what makes them unique well, for God's the sake. Well, the,
1: the thing is with the marketing, I don't think they cared. Because if the punters liked them, that was your marketing anyway. You know what I mean? Yeah. If you had 500 people squashed into a pub, it didn't matter about the marketing. It just fucking worked. Marketing was secondary in the second fucking part where people without fucking brains and feelings went, well, let's market this, right? Yeah. In those days, if the crowd were there, you were signed. Yeah, yeah, that's
0: true. That's true. But you know when they're sort of taking it to a bigger international scale and those kind of fuckwits sort of jump in and start talking about marketing, they, rather than try to get their heads around what you're doing, they will try to encourage you to change your act and your look and your style and fucking make you second guess yourself and doubt yourself. You know what I mean? That's the thing that yeah, really I fucking shits was, me.
1: Yeah, I yeah, don't I don't think that was happening back then. No, I don't it, think
0: no, it wasn't, smart. which is why these kind of artists were able to exist.
1: Absolutely. Like the, these days Absolutely. These
0: days they, they, they wouldn't get a shot, you know?
1: Nah, nah. They'd get nothing. And I mean, it was just the pub rock scene, you know, that was our, that was it. If people came and saw the gig, they were gonna be signed.
0: Yeah. Yeah, know? exactly.
1: A and R guys came out and had a look. But you even consider—I mean, Midnight Oil wouldn't have been changed in a million years, you know. Nah. But Midnight Oil were different because they were—they poli- were into politics. So that's where people got a bit scared of them. Or oh, are they going to rock the boat? Are they going to talk about this? Are they going to talk about that? Yeah. You know? But people love that.
0: Yeah, they were—they were, they were um, even from the very beginning. They were political. They didn't—they didn't sort of. Um, they didn't um, sort of grow in popularity and then think, "Oh, what can no, we do no, with no, our never, profile?" Never. They were always yeah, right. political. Yeah, absolutely. Do you know what their original name was? Nah. Farm. Farm. Yeah. What a fucking <laughs> what a fucking anticlimactic uh, band name. Farm.
1: Oh, I like Midnight all
0: a lot. Yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah, definitely. They've got an incredible um, bunch of stats as well. There are um, 13 of their albums uh, peaked in the top 10, and they had during the '80s, they had four big top 10 singles, but 13 albums reached top 10. Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, for well, a start, to have fucking 13 albums, let, let alone, let alone, um, to, to reach top 10. They were huge. Yeah.
1: And, and we saw that when they reformed a couple of years ago and did the bloody, the place in Melbourne, and every Tom, Dick, and Harry got tickets. Like you, the tickets sold within.
0: You could barely you know, get in. Yeah, yeah. 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 And they, they toured all. I went and saw them. They were phenomenal. They, they were like back in the day good. They were so good. Um, and they look they were one of the first bands you know that they, they they're it's funny because they 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 are definitely like a bogan Aussie band like they they you know bogans love the oils um yeah. but they they had a they they were something else as well you know on top of that they had a conscience they 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 were thinking about the world and um, they were one of the first bands to start talking about conservation and they were one of the first bands to start talking about um, uh, Aboriginal rights and reconciliation and all those kind of issues.
1: Yep, yep.
0: That's Um, right. And and really bring that sort of into the the popular uh, conversation. Um, Yeah. But before that kind of Australians… Didn't want to talk about it. it. Was part of our sort of dark history that we didn't want to admit to. And and um, the oils, you know, through through their music, were were sort of encouraging people to talk about it and think about it. And um, and it went from there. They're, they're they're heroes of mine. These guys. They're they're amazing.
1: Awesome. So let's go on to the divinals. You yeah. have to do the divinals.
0: Absolutely.
1: Just incredible! What a front woman.
0: Now they, they formed in 1980. Yes, in
1: Sydney. It would have been 1980. Yep.
0: Yeah. Um, just
1: Chrissy and Mark, I think.
0: Chrissy and Mark were sort of the founding couple, and they were the—they were the—the um, the, the mainstayers right throughout, and um, right up until Chrissy's death. It, it really, it really was largely just Mark, uh, Mark and Chrissy. Um, they were initially like a five-piece, but they had a lot of they had a lot of people coming and going. You know, um, Chrissy was um, she's famously the cousin of Little Patty,
2: mm-hmm.
0: who was a um, who was also a pop star in sort of pre, you know previous decades, um, and Chrissy had a background as an actress as well. Um, so she she could speak quite well. She had it, – it's amazing because she, she – um, you hear her speak in an interview. She's very well spoken. She's not what you yeah. – it's not what you would expect uh, watching her on stage and just watching how wild and released she was and – Um, You know, especially when she's sort of got her her schoolgirl uniform on. She's got her um, school uniform on and stomping up and down the stage and jumping on the guitarist's back and all of that kind of thing. It's, yeah, absolutely not what you'd expect.
1: Well, that was the beauty of her. Because what she – she went with the vibe on stage. So if the crowd took her somewhere, she just went with it, you know. Yeah. If the crowd went berserk and then when she came off stage, she was quite grounded. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, I saw her at Australian Made for the first time ever Um, and she scared the fuck out of me. I was like, wow, this chick is just crazy. Um, because she demand attention. She was demanding the attention. She was one of the only f- really front women out there of the time.
0: Yeah. There
1: weren't many out there. Um, and she worked in a way where she didn't really do the sexy thing. She did, did the I'm going to scare the shit out of you thing, you know, which is a protective device for women on stage to do that so you aren't hassled off stage, you know.
0: Yeah, that's right. Yeah, scare the shit out um, of
1: you. Yeah, that's right. So, but incredible singer, incredible front woman, read a crowd, knew what the crowd wanted, and we've never seen anything else like her, really.
0: Ah, uh, look, not in Australia, No, not in Australia. She, she was absolutely phenomenal. She, look, she was up there. She's um, when she was alive, was up there with Barnesy, no doubt, like an Australian Aussie rock icon. Um, They had – and look, Mark's guitar work is incredible as well. Really simple, straight down the line, doesn't overdo it. Um, It really complemented what she was doing.
1: I think Mark's an incredible guitarist, you know. Yeah, yeah. Incredible guitarist, but I just watched him on Rage last night and went, "You're just a fucking complete idiot." You know, (laughs) I don't, I don't like him that much as a person.
0: I think you, Um, I think you do sort of grow out of your use by date and and um, you know grow beyond your use by date. Um, He lost a lot of respect when he um, basically, you know, uh, recruited a younger chick and was uh, continued. Do, uh, doing it under the Divinals banner, it's like, oh come on, yeah. mate! As if you can, as yeah. if you can fucking do that. So like give yeah, it, give dreaming. us a fucking break. Yeah,
1: yeah. I think they cancelled that gig or something, but
0: it just didn't sell. You know,
1: no, no one brought it. That's nah, right, nah. no one wants to see that. And the other girl was young and kind of Josh Stone-ish. Yeah, you know, like getting. Jo- it, it doesn't work, but no. for me, Chrissy Amphlett was probably not just Australians' best front woman. She was the world's best front woman. She's, she's like the world. Yeah. Without yeah. a doubt.
0: Ah, oh, that's great you to know? hear you say that. I love that. I I, I really well, I really rate her as well. I really rate her as well. Mm.
1: I I haven't seen anyone where I would go oh, my God, that's incredible, she's got control over the crowd, she's running around and she looks fabulous because she wasn't super attractive. You've got to understand that for women she broke a couple of moulds. Yeah. And she broke the mould of being super dumb shit looking attractive. She had red hair, her teeth were fucked, she came out but her body was banging and she came out and she went, this is who I am, I'm going to tell you you're an asshole." that kind of thing. We didn't see that in the industry. We only saw these really lovely, flirty kind of things out the front, and they had no balls to them at all. yeah, you know? and
0: and and Chrissy's sexuality didn't come from her looks. they they sort of, and and I don't mean to I don't mean this as a slight at all, that they her sexuality came despite her looks, you know what I mean? she was she wasn't the sort of uh, classic sexy beauty. Her sexuality came from her self-belief. It came from uh inside her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I saw her Incredible. play I saw her play um Judy Garland in The Boy From Oz.
1: Yep, yep.
0: Yeah. She 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 yeah, was she amazing. That. She was amazing. But um uh look, Divinals, they had uh, their albums during the eighties. Their first, their first album during the 80s was Desperate. Fucking, mm-hmm. fucking Desperate.
2: Desperate.
0: Oh, you're desperate. Yeah. Um, that came out in 83. Uh, the hit Science Fiction. Great song. Only Lonely, which I love. I love Only Lonely. And, of course, Boys in Town. Um, uh, this is the international uh, listing of this album, of course. Um, the Aussie version didn't have Boys in Town. That was on a previous um, EP or something. Uh, they would have, in 85, they would release What a Life. Yeah. What a Life. That had uh, Pleasure and Pain, which was one of my favourite songs. Yeah. Uh, and in 88, they would release Temperamental with uh, Back to the Wall and Punksy. It wouldn't be yeah. until... 91 that they would have their biggest commercial success with the, um, um, the album titled Divinals because they, they, I think they were newly signed up to Virgin uh, and they were really pushing them into the US. Uh, so they, had a, they basically had a, had a self-titled um, album there. It was largely just Mark and Chrissy by this stage uh, but they had their biggest success with I Touch Myself.
1: Yeah, well, they had all the uh, session musos, and that's where she met Charlie, that's her, right. si- her husband.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, but um, "Boys in Town" obviously was the first song they ever wrote. Yep. And always a classic, pub classic to play if you're in a band or you know, everyone asks for the boys in town.
0: Fuck yeah, absolutely. That's mm. like it's it's a it's a punk track, isn't it? Like it's an Aussie punk track. I fucking love it.
1: Yeah, yeah, and just something degrading. Yeah, you know, a bit degrading and a bit, you know, this is how it is. And look, it, wh- like that.
0: let's talk about that song for a second because we've been um, we've been singing it for years. Boys in Town. Um, it's it, it is it about um, being her being sort of shared around the surfy boys.
1: No, well, I think she went to prison a couple of times, Chrissy Amphlett. She went to prison in Spain for busking on the street. They locked her up. I don't know what had happened. She ended up in a bus full of men going to the jail. And I think that's where the idea came from, from when she came back to Australia. She was with all the boys in town and there was a bus full of prison guards or prison people. Yeah. And she said, you know, uh, get me out of here. So I think it was a bit of everything. I, I think it was a little bit of her storytelling, her life, because she went to prison for tickets, you know, like when she was got tickets in her car and stuff. So she wasn't shy of going to prison and I yeah. think that was a little bit about that, but I could be wrong. Yeah, right. But I have heard her talk about it in that way.
0: Now, Sammy, you might be able to debunk this, another urban myth I'm not quite sure of. Did she once in quite an inebriated state piss on the front row? No, nah. that's not true,
1: no, nah, I don't think so, okay, I don't think so, yeah, I really don't, but you've heard um, of
0: you've heard of that though you've heard of yeah,
1: that yeah that kind of that I didn't really listen to it though, yeah, because I think at that time, there were a lot of people that couldn't get control of her, so yeah. they just started making stories up,
0: yeah, um,
1: yeah. If she did, fucking whatever. Who cares? You know, I've pissed in the street when I can't make it home in the fucking car, you know? Yeah. Big deal. Yeah. But it wasn't that she pissed on the crowd. She was – you know how she used to crouch down? Yeah. Apparently she pissed when she crouched down (laughs) sort of side of stage and that's where she got the crouch down from.
0: Oh, okay.
1: But no, she didn't piss on the crowd. I haven't heard that but I have heard she – sort of did that. But yeah, I've have read the book, but I can't tell you because I can't remember what was in the book. Mm. But uh yeah, that is an urban myth.
0: Right, okay.
1: Everyone knows that one.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think look, she she it and it sort of goes with her whole mythology as well. Like, you know, she didn't she did she you know, she didn't carry on how you carried on as as a as a woman in the eighties. She she was a, she right. was a groundbreaker. She she couldn't be stopped, um, and so it, it you know that mythology people would have loved it because it was like oh yeah that'd be right you know she, yeah she would have done that back in
1: <laughs> yeah that's right yeah and just to mention that Charlie he's because uh, Maddie obviously has worked with Jimmy Barnes our producer and he has mentioned Charlie her husband is now the drummer for Cold Chisel yeah. He's Canadian um, originally, it, isn't he? I have no idea, babe, but I know he's from the States somewhere. Okay. But uh, he was good for her. He was good for her. Where Mark was a little bit – great player though. Yeah. Mark's got a very similar style to Rip Wild. His guitar playing is exactly the same yeah, almost. Yeah, true. Um, very similar and when you get Rip to play – ...any song by the Divinals, he will fucking do it better than anyone. Yeah, absolutely. You know? just I've never heard anyone do Divinals like Rip, ever. Just
0: sort of big, beautiful, clean notes and yeah, yeah, absolutely. Ah, good observation. That's so true. The
1: same. T- oh no, we've always noticed that. Because the more you work with a cover band and you get people in... Yeah. ...you go, that guy's good at that, that guy's good at that... ...that guy's not good at that, you know. But everyone's got their own little things. But Rip, when it comes to Mark's work... He was the best always.
0: Yeah, you that's know? right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So we'll do one more and then we're gonna love and leave everyone.
0: I reckon. I reckon. Um look, I did I do have a few more. I may just do some quick honourable mentions at the end. People are people are gonna um gonna hell me down for who I leave behind. But I've got to mention the Angels, Sammy.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I've got to mention yep.
0: the Angels. Uh, yep. The Angels were formed in Adelaide as well, uh, in a in a little suburb called Taperoo, which is a coastal suburb in Adelaide. Um, they, these guys, like are like sort of you know they're Aussie rock, but it's punk. It's sort of really fast driving, gritty um, rock, really sort of dangerous sounding. Uh, so many American bands have cited these guys as influences, like uh, Guns N' Roses, Pearl Jam um, have mm-hmm. actually cited The Angels as as influences. They started, of course, just like a lot of these guys that we've mentioned back in the back in the seventies. Um, their biggest hit, or, or probably I know no, their biggest commercial hit. But kind of I guess the um, the biggest cult hit of theirs would be, Am I ever gonna see your face again? Yes. Um, no way, get back yeah. fuck, fuck off. Am I ever gonna see your face again? No way, get back fuck, fuck off <laughs> which was
1: seventies. It was seventies, but bloody worth the wench a, wen- a mentioned. Yeah. You know,
0: absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Um uh, I think it came out in '76. That one. Yeah, I think it did. Really early. And then they had Long Line in about '78. Yep. Um, and in we do that in
1: rewind. We
0: do. We bend it. the rules. We
1: do. It's a three X Y hot hit. That's we, right. It, it was with with the Angels. He's so low. Yeah. That I had to pick a song that I could sing, and Long Line was the only one I could really yeah. put anything into. Another really strong front man, though. Yeah. Like, yeah. incredible.
0: You got okay. Can everyone out there listening promise me something? That when you don't do it now, listen to the rest of the show, but when the show finishes, listen to Long Line. You will, you will, something primal will crawl out of you. I just love it yeah. so much. Um, in 1980, they had No Secrets. Um, their single No Secrets. They had We Gotta Get Out of This Place in 87 and they would then release um, Dogs Are Talkin' in 1990. Um, so they, they, they went all the way through. Doc Neeson, the lead sim- singer, was an actor as well. He had an acting background as well. Yeah. Um, and he was nuts on stage. He just had, he just had a, like a crazy look in his eye as well. Look, you had to be tough. You had to be yeah. tough to be an Aussie pub rock um, band, um, because look, if people didn't like you in Aussie pub rocks, uh, Aussie pub rock in o- Aussie pubs in Australia in the 80s, they would jump up and fight you. They would make yeah, your they life. Would. They would heckle you to tears. You know, if exactly. you if you didn't get in in there and get in front of them and sort of um, either scare the shit out of them a little bit or just in, impress the hell out of them somehow, um, you, they th- throw shit. They, out they would eat you alive. Yeah, yeah. eat you yeah. alive. If if um if any musos out there have ever toured um, Alice Springs, and I still believe it's yeah, the case. Yeah, like me
1: for two months.
0: Yeah. I still, fucking horrid. I still believe it's the case that in Alice Springs they actually have chicken wire up um, between the stage and where the punters are, because they'll even if they like you, they'll throw fucking beer bottles up on stage. Yeah, they will. But if they hate you, it'll just be like you know, it'll just would have been like a shower of glass. But um, have
1: you worked in Alice Springs?
0: No, not in a band, no.
1: Okay, well, I have and I can absolutely 100% confirm that when you roll up to a venue, they will let you know they're going to throw beer bottles at you (laughs) if you suck, right? And I I stood there going, really? And he went, I'm not joking. And it's not so much now it's not so bad but in the 80s it would have. But what I find interesting because when I went over to the States – to watch Maddie work over there. We have a smaller population here in Australia, so we have to work harder. The people to come to your gigs, they don't just come from out of nowhere. We don't have a population like America where 30% of them are hit and miss and they're just coming because there's a live band. They're coming to see you. Yeah, you know? Yeah. And they're coming because the population is nowhere near as big as what it is in in America. So we've always worked harder as as bands yeah. and artists. Cause I went over to America and I watched some front women and I just went, That's fucking horrible. Because they've got no reason to work when the when the climate's there of people just coming in the venues. You don't have to fucking work.
0: No, nah, that's right. You know? Yeah, yeah.
1: But in Australia we were threatened with beer bottles. We were threatened with, you know, show us your tits. I mean I, I heard that probably 20 times a week in the 80s. Yeah, show yeah. Show us your tits.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: Um, so you you know it's it, it was a cu- it was a very tricky area to be working in.
0: See you have you have your Sydneys and your Melbournes and your Brisbane's and so forth, but but Outback Australia is an absolutely different story. Like you, it's it's a it's a different world. It like it's it's old Australia. You know, like it's there. There's a different. Uh, in the cities, you get more of a, I guess, a bit more of an international vibe, a bit more of a cos- cosmopolitan vibe, but in outback Australia, and especially if you're a touring band doing these little towns, fucking hell, it's um, you got to be tough. You got to be, you yeah, got to be really tough. You, you got to be fucking good at what you do. It really, um, I, it really sort of um, tests people. You know,
1: I, I had a nervous breakdown. Yeah, going out to. Yulara. Yeah. When I worked out in Yulara for two months, I was there at 18, 19. Mm. Now that's very young to yeah. go out there. Yeah. And I had to – this is a true story. We had to program um, – what was the Cold Chisel song that Mossy sang?
0: Oh. Um,
1: Might have been um, – a no no was it that one or another song anyway it was one of the 80s songs because it was 89 when i went yeah um and mossy's dad is from alice springs right. so i'm looking at this guy in the audience yeah. while this song's on and he's staring at me watching right me, right? right and i went over to Him, Because I thought he was a friend of mine, Vince from Pseudo Echo Because I was friends with Vince, the drummer And he had curly hair like Mossy But because my eyesight's bad When I went up it was Ian Moss And I went, oh my god, I'm so embarrassed I'm so sorry to fuck your song But we have to play it Or I'm gonna die And he went, mate you don't have to tell me about it. He goes, last weekend there was a cold chisel cover band and I did my Ian Moss stuff on the pub on the next corner and there was more people watching the fucking cover band than coming to my gig. Isn't that unbelievable? He told unbelievable. me with his own mouth.
0: Oh he told God. me with his
1: own mouth and then we just had a drink. But he was a lovely guy but that's how rough it is out there, you And know? then he
0: passed you with his own mouth. Yeah. Uh. No, he
1: didn't pash me.
0: Yeah. Uh.
1: He was there. I think he was sending his dad off. I think his dad had just died, which was sad.
0: Oh, that's a um, shame. Look, um, but yeah, I I just wanted to mention something before we um, do our honourable mentions and we wrap up, right? Um, our in Australia here, we our our industry has been sort of left left behind a little bit during the, during the lockdown, during the COVID-19 thing. Um, Whereas other industries have been given support by the government and people have been able to sort of feed their families and, and um, you know, uh, live in their houses and pay the, pay, pay the basic bills and that kind of thing. Musos have completely lost all their gigs and they're not getting any support at all. Um, But as, our country is starting to open up, you're starting to get this kind of thing. I'm going to read a very brief letter that was released by a guy called Jack Jericho. Jack Jericho is the entertainment manager for the Hurley Hotel Group in South Australia. I'm going to name names because I think this is disgraceful. Um, Right, okay. Jack Jericho um, sends this open letter out basically saying... This is an email to all uh, soloists and duos. The Hurley Hotel group are thrilled to be able to open our doors again to the public and will be hopefully be returning to normal in the coming months. We're currently able to admit up to 80 patrons, provided we can contain them to groups of 20, blah, blah, blah. Rules, um, whilst this has been a very difficult time for the hotel industry financially – We hope we can bounce back soon so that we can book and pay our valued musicians to play at venues like in the past. Until the restrictions are lifted, our cash flow is virtually non-existent. However, we are doing a shout-out to see if any musicians would be interested in playing at any of our venues for a couple of hours at a time over the next couple of weeks. Although we would not be able to pay artists at present, we will be able to provide them with a $100 food and beverage voucher to be used at the hotel musicians can use the opportunity as a busking session and patrons oh, and patrons are encouraged to throw some money their way I oh think my God. I think this kind of thing is absolutely yeah. disgusting.
1: I haven't. We're gonna have to put a link on our page. That is yeah, fucking horrific.
0: We are. I haven't. I don't know about you. I, I know. Look, I know where you stand, but I haven't busted my ass for twenty years doing doing gigs, getting ready in fucking bathrooms, and you know going out and yeah. you know going out in front of crowds, getting getting home late with no sort of. Um, you are basically self-employed you're you're um there's no sort of safety net underneath you there's no superannuation there's no sick days you go out there and play the show um whether you yeah. whether you're sick in a good mood in a bad mood whatever or you don't make any fucking money um and you know we we Musos in this country have not been busting their asses for fucking decades to go out and pay for free, not for one single gig. And if you're a muso out there, because I know some musos in Australia, listen to our show. If you're a muso out there and you're responding to emails like this by saying, yeah, yeah, we'll get up and pay for free. You are undermining yeah. the rest of the industry and you are fucking Absolutely. things. You are fucking things for people that are trying to pay their bills and provide for their families.
1: Exactly. Yeah. And we don't just sit at home and and hope to God a gig comes in. It's a, it's a fee. People get a fee for doing a gig. Where did you see this? On
0: Facebook or what was it on? I saw it on a music group. Um, and I was actually disgusted to see some some older musos who should know better were actually saying yeah. like, "Oh well, times are tough. See it as an opportunity and get up there." And oh. it's just like, "What? What? Just so the crowd can sort of chuck some coins at our feet? Go and yeah. fuck yourself." I'm so sorry.
1: Absolutely. We have How, so. I mean, that's ridiculous yeah, to think that.
0: Yeah, we've we've been yeah. completely forgotten by. Uh, the government and and support. Like if we have been able to make it through this period, it's just because we're of our own resilience as an industry because we're used to fucking surviving – um, and and I, I just think this thing is like totally disgusting and and anybody yeah. anybody within the industry who sees this as an opportunity to sort of ah oh, nobody else is going to take the work I'm going to jump in and fucking have a go and and get noticed you're actually fucking it for the industry and and you're you're part of the problem of why we're not able to sort of. Um, ask for the fees the, the the basic fees that are required to keep a band running.
1: Absolutely.
0: Yeah, really I mean, shit.
1: When you run a band you pay tax, you pay GST if you make enough money. Rewind money is pays $3,000 a fucking quarter in GST. I'm not going out there to do something for free because I need to be looked at. I've actually got bills to pay and stuff like that to keep the bus rolling. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And the the problem is there are going to be scumbags like this guy that own a chain of industry of of hotels that are getting money from somewhere anyway. What do they think we're living off at the moment? Nothing. Yeah. Like we're living off nothing. We need to make money more than the fucking venues because the venues are going to survive whether they don't use bands or not.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. We're not. Yeah. They're making money off alcohol. They're making money off pokies and so forth. Send and that off
1: to Barnsley. Yeah,
0: yeah, Give it to
1: Barnsley. Barnsley would love to play with that.
0: Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, look, yeah, look, just so you know what's going on, everybody out there, it's – um, um yeah, an, an interesting insight into, I guess, how we get treated behind the scenes. So you, you've got to be fucking tough. You've got to stand up for yourself.
1: That's right. Because uh, if Absolutely. you don't,
0: nobody else will.
1: Other musos are stupid enough to think it is an opportunity. An opportunity for what? For your fucking grandmother to come and see you? Like, what's the opportunity? Yeah,
0: it's ridiculous. It's not like
1: the movies where someone's going to go, Oh, you're really good. I'm going to sign you. No one gets signed anymore. No one gets an opportunity anymore. You're your own opportunity nowadays. You know what I mean?
0: Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's right. Uh, All right. Very
1: true, honey. Great subject. So, that was a good. and we're going to wind it up. up. Yeah, a bit of a up. spray.
0: I'll just do the honourable mentions. Honourable mentions. Rose Tattoo, of course, uh, fronted by Angry Anderson. Their big, big bo- yeah. bogan standard. Um, who could forget? Who could forget on, um, uh, was it E Street? When, when she was walking down the aisle to, to suddenly... Neighbours, neighbours, neighbors, honey. Neighbours. Was Neighbours, neighbors, it was yeah. Scott and Charlene,
1: wasn't it? Yeah, yeah, Neighbours, oh my God, absolutely. Was. There we go. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah.
0: The other honourable mention that I have is, of course, Men at Work, fronted by Colin Hay. They're a Melbourne band. Um, they played play their very first gig at Cricketers Arms Hotel in Richmond um, and they came up with the name uh, Men at Work because they didn't have a band name. Uh, Colin Hay, um, they needed something to write up on the on the chalkboard um, uh, with the bands playing that evening. And Colin Hay looked around, saw the first street sign, which was a uh, uh, construction sign saying Men at Work, and that was the name of the band. There we go. Beautiful. Fucking amazing. Now, if you like the show out there, guys, please like, share, review and subscribe. Um, we're, mm. we're growing up the charts every week. People are loving it. Um, good way to sort of get the word out there is give us a fantastic review on iTunes and give us five stars, a five-star rating all the way. Good on you.
1: Absolutely. And you can join us on the 80s Montage Podcast Facebook. That's our address. And Patreon as well. Patreon. Patreon. The 80s Montage podcast patreon so even if you google the 80s montage patreon it'll come up for you chuck us a dollar give us a spare coinage you know once a month but no really good episode so we also want to know what you guys want to hear about because we're coming up with ideas all the time but let's have a you know drop us a line yeah Let us know what you want to hear about.
0: we'll talk about i mean fucking
1: anything
0: it'll get give, absolutely g- gives us an opportunity to catch up and have a drink
1: that's exactly right. Yeah. If you want a D- Divinals episode, let us know. All the Aussies out there because Aussies, we've got 645 Aussies that listen around the country to this show. So if you want a bloody Sunny Boys episode or something that you can think of, you know, give us a – shout it out.
0: Let us know. That's right. Now, Semi, I um I have a little request for a song to play us out for the show tonight. Um, my uncle Albert, my dear uncle Albert died just yesterday. He's he's very old. He made it to his nineties. Um, he was a huge influence on me as a singer growing up. And, um, when some of my earliest memories were, uh, singing country music on, on the back steps, watching the sun go down. So, um, I would like to request, um, Uh, A country song. It's by Slim Dusty. It actually came out in the 80s. It's called G'day, G'day. You might know this one. G'day, G'day. Let's play it. Um, See you guys next week. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show. This is the 80s montage. If it's music, mateys Mateys or or cool cool shit from 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 the 80s, 80s.
1: we're
0: going to talk about it.
1: Unreal. Unreal. G'day, g'day, how you going? what do you know, it will strike a light, g'day, g'day, and how you goin', just say g'day, 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 and you'll be right, isn't it great, to be an Aussie, taking a walk along the street, looking in shops, or buying a paper, Stopping and having a yarn with people that you meet Down at the pub or at a party Whenever you're stuck for what to say If you want to be dinky-dye, why don't you give it a try Look them right in the eye and say good day
2: See ya. See ya. <laughs>